Got your attention now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. I already have three songs written that I'm going to do with Tim. Yay. My brother's going out to Montana to go film with Tim February 11th to the 14th. He's going to record Be a Cowboy acoustic with Tim. It's negative 30 in Montana right Fuck now. You. Uh, Tim sent over some photos of thermometers this morning, and it's like, I'm glad I live in Texas. Indeed. On that note, welcome to Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. We are sitting here. How are you doing, Logan? I'm good. I'm amped up today. I'm so good, and I'm particularly happy because we get to make the announcement for Mr. Jericho Denman, who has officially joined the Black Rifle Coffee media team. Yes. Content first sergeant. He's going to do a lot of knife handing. He's going to do a lot of tucking. Um, and you'll get to know all about the Keep It Tucked campaign over the course of the <laughs> next couple of months here. And uh, joined us on episode five. Was around in the very, very beginning. Yep, it was episode five. And then you did uh, 138 with us on the podcast too. But this is the first one where you are officially a part of the team. Yeah, feels good. It does. The first thing Jericho did to me today, as you saw, he actually knife handed me and said, young man, is that a, is that government property? Because I'm wearing an old waffle top. And it is. Um, so CIF can go suck my dick. But I, I still got it. I think, I think I've earned it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, to be fair. To be fair. If it touches your skin, you're supposed to be able to keep it. Isn't that the rule? Oh, some weird rule like that. But yeah, but they made you turn in your whoobies. So that doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe because there's an exterior piece of clothing, but most people cuddle with those things like that Burt Reynolds photo you have on your phone for some reason right now. Well, I was going to talk about that a little bit later. But first, I wanted to show you that we've already uh, cartooned Jericho's character. I like it. As a of content. Um, I like it. And we'll have this up (laughs) on the screen if you're joining us on YouTube. Very much so. But um, yeah, like it's being a... couple weeks into this at this point, you were like, oh, I'm going to like take 60 days to get acquainted to everything. And then you're like, nah, I'm just going to jump in the fucking fire. <laughs> and uh, having another adult in the room has been phenomenal so far. So I yeah, think, I think you. this year you're going to see uh, the impact that Jericho brings to the table when he joins let me, the Let me propose that question so. to you. So when you coming in, um, okay, you, we've obviously been friends, most all of us with you for, for a significant amount of time. But from your perception of how fucking things operated and worked as far as like in the content piece and that, and then being a part of it, is it less of a shit show, more of a shit show? You're like, this is what I expected. Like, uh, it's a very nuanced answer. And I'm not, I'm not doing the politically correct answer. Um, hey, fuck it, yeah, my, please don't. No, no, it's definitely uh, more chaotic, but that's a product that like we do so much more than I knew. You know what I mean? So many little behind the scenes things and such a large amount of content being pumped out because I'm only one man in his phone before this that just would see the algorithm and I didn't see everything that came out. I saw what Meta wanted me to see, you know, like Mm so um, just the volume of what we do and the swath of where we do it was way bigger than I realized. Yeah. I mean, maybe the podcast guys don't, gals don't even know that, but I mean, there's so much pixels we're filling on a daily basis, whether it's, it's just not like black rifle coffee proper, but all the medians that are associated with that brand, moreover free range American, you know, um, coffee or die. I mean, there is just like a fucking metric ass load. And I think that's more than a shitload. I think, I think ass loads. Yeah, it's like three and a half shitloads. Somewhere yeah. above a uh, cut here. I 
But there's a lot of stuff, and it's and it's for like a, a very diverse audience. You know, there's like stuff that comes out in the Coffee or Die or, or a Free Range American. You know, what the guys are doing over there with like the outdoor space, cooking, and it's just really cool content. And yeah, and there's too much of it for one person to consume, right? Is I guess true. what I was getting at. So like, there's no way unless it's your full time job. You just did that in unison. <laughs> yeah. uh, unless it's like your job to watch all our shit, you're probably not going to keep be able to keep up with us and watch it all. Well, one of my most exciting things um, for me about you joining the team is we have just plussed up a real life United States Army Ranger to the team. I think we're at like four or five now. Yeah. So, um, and not only that is uh, you're a humble man. um, So I'm going to say that, but you are kind of for a lot of guys in Icon in Ranger Battalion, um, you spent a significant amount of time there. And, I, and I'd love for you to kind of discuss that with the audience about like your journey in the military and, and everything, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up like an army brat. Uh, my dad was a Ranger. Uh, my brother's six years older than me. So when he graduated high school, he became a Ranger. Um, and both of them moved on from Ranger Battalion, but for... Uh, both those guys, it was kind of like the pinnacle of their career. Like the way that my dad would talk about his, you know, three or four years in Ranger Battalion. Was this high school football? Yeah, it was like all his lifelong friends from the army, like 90% of more guys from that period. So it was always like, without saying it, like, ah, oh, I was going to be a coming Ranger. You know what I mean? Um, Dave, I really, did you always just know that because Matt rebelled against his father? Uh, <laughs> did you, uh, was it like, when did, when was the first time you were like, yep, that's what I'm, I'm going to be a ranger? Well, funny enough, like I did rebel against my dad by becoming a ranger because he wanted so much better for me. <laughs> right? Like He's like, go be like a scientist or like a pilot. And you're like, no, I'm going to put a bunch of heavy shit on and kick down doors. Yeah, yeah no shit. And in order of like precedence, I was a pretty artistic kid. I drew a lot and I was pretty decent. He really wanted me to go to art school. That was like number one. I was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to apply to art school. Dumb. Um, But then he really wanted me to join the Air Force because he was like, throughout my whole career, we'd go to Air Force bases. It's so nice. Like they get treated so well, you know, just go. He wanted me to be like a loadmaster. Funny, playing words there. But like, he's like, you get to travel the world. It's pretty easy. It's like not a lot of danger. You're in a cargo plane. Like, it's awesome. And I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, not going to do that. But I kind of settled on being a PJ, right? Okay. And I was going to the Air Force recruiter. And uh, it, it was a couple things. Like, A, the Air Force recruiter was like this fat, doof, like just not an impressive guy at all. Not someone I looked at and was like, I want to go work where he does. Um, And then the other thing was they had this video at the recruiters back then, like this VHS, you'd like clunk it in and be like, you want to be a BJ and we watch it. What time? This was uh, late 90s, 96 uh, would be when I was like talking to the recruiters and uh, I'm watching it and like 80% of this video about PJs is dudes in a pool, like a swimming pool. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm." like I'm a, I'm a strong swimmer, but doesn't mean I like that shit. Right. Um, So I was like, I don't want to do that, man. And uh, back then, the Navy, you couldn't couldn't join with like a BUDS contract, not even close. You had to go do your time in the fleet as like a electrician's mate or whatever they gave you. Um, And then you could, you know, assess for BUDS. So that was off the table. So it was like, kind of came home, came to what I knew. And that was, you know, joining with a Ranger contract. I joined, you know, delayed entry in high school. Um, 
And yeah, like, I don't know, eight or nine days after I graduated high school, I was on a plane to Fort Benning to do, you know, basic airborne rip, now RASP. Yeah. Was it called OSEP back then? Like, yeah, one station unit training. And it was yeah. like about everyone that joined in my time period, you had X number of years and 17 weeks because you like that's 17 weeks, weeks was like was our the pipeline. Training. Yeah. Right. And they just tacked it onto your four. I don't really know why they did that, but you could be picked out of like the in, like the personnel file person crowd because you had this weird 17 week thing tacked onto the back of your enlistment. Right. I think their, their methodology, they, they changed that by the time I got in, but it was uh, like the four years has to be at your duty station and they didn't yeah. want that in Peter contract because they're like, they invested so much time, energy, and money and then you actually fucking make it that it's like, yeah. I kind of want this dude to be around for more <laughs> than like three years and, you know, two months or whatever the case yeah. was. Yeah. But were, and then you, where were you first assigned? Which battalion? Uh, I got assigned to Charlie Company, 2nd Range Battalion, uh, out of the gate. I got there in December 97. 97? Yeah. You were back in like the fucking high and tight days. I'm sure you kind of know this, but like back back then, <laughs> um, Range Battalion was kind of going through its like transitional thing into more of like a direct action unit because historically it was airfield seizures and BPs for freaking, you know, tier one units. And it was like the fucking, the highest of the high and tights. Did you have yeah. one, I bet? Oh, it was gnarly. Yeah. I had a really good one. You know, you'd, you'd go through different phases. I was always like, it was, it's funny the way that we would like, Everything Ranger does, he's going to like, hey, where's the line? All right, cool. I'm going to go right up to it. I'm going to like lean over it, right? Yep. In the high and tight standard, it said your hair could be one inch on top. Like the little thing you had. Yeah. Like that was literally like- Like one inch wide? One inch long. Oh, long. Your hair could be one inch long, right? Which turned into like, if you're like a real moto dude, they'd be like, if you put your hand- like put your hand in your hair like that. Yeah. Whatever sticks out, that means it's too long. And I'm like, this is where I started to become the guy I was in the army. And I was like, my finger's not a fucking inch thick. Like, what are you talking about? And they'd be like, shut the fuck up. But yeah, so I always would like push the envelope a little bit on my, on my top and like try and make it as long as possible. Like that was the beginnings of my small victory That's- uh, aspiring career. Dude, you were showing me some of the photos from... uh the airfield stuff that you guys used to do in those old Vicks that you guys used to transport. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, man, I like, I was, I just became a fan of yeah. like that lifestyle that you guys must have been living uh, before the G-Walk kicked off and, and what that would have been like in Seattle in the late 90s. Like, yeah. I was like, I was just uber envious of that whole, like the look, like it just felt so Ranger vintage. And I was like, <laughs> I was just like, I wanted to put myself there. I don't know if I should be like offended or flattered by the vintage comment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're so vintage. <laughs> I like this, dude. I, I I wouldn't mind if we spent a decent amount of the podcast talking about like, obviously you're upbringing a range battalion, but like, this is really cool. I think a lot of people would love to hear like the unit's progression and then, and then the overlap of like some of us and stuff. Yeah. That'd be pretty fucking cool, man. Yeah, he's right. Like that time period was, I mean... I'm not going to say it was the best time of my career because they were like, you know, other more rewarding things, but it was such a good fucking time. Yeah. Like we worked our asses off, like, you know, Monday through Friday, like you didn't have a life. Right. But on the weekend, you know, we're in Tacoma, we're in Seattle, like, right. and that was, it was the late nineties. So like grunge was still kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Like the music scene in Seattle was so <laughs> fucking fun. Um, a lot of us in battalion, like at least in my platoon, we were like little like hardcore kids, you know? So we nice. were like, go to Seattle and go to hardcore shows and like 
get in fights with neo-Nazis who, <laughs> who thought like, people would look at us and be like, oh, a bunch of dudes with high tights and or shaved heads. Like they must be these neo-Nazi dudes. And then we would like beat those dudes up. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a really fun time. And just, you know, you knew what the fuck you had to do. And that was just like, win, win at everything. That was what we did. Like, oh, there's another guy doing the same thing as me. I have to beat him. Like yeah. no matter what, I can just fun. envision that because you know similar story, different little little later than you, but like listening to like Nirvana driving a team of Rangers up to Seattle, like we're gonna get fucking blasted. Are yeah. we? Where are we staying tonight? I don't know. Yeah, like, no, it no sounds one, awesome. Yeah, oh dude, it's it like, incredible. Yeah, yeah, like I was, uh, I was. There were like three or four dudes who lived in the barracks who had a car, right? And I right. had like this two wheel drive single cab Toyota pickup, right? Like tiny. And everybody pitched in and bought a camper shell for it <laughs> just so that we could drive to and from Seattle. With without ever, in the back? With, yeah. yeah, with people in the back oh without getting wet. And like, we bottomed out the suspension on that thing a couple of <laughs> times. There would be like 15 dudes in this truck going to Seattle. And I remember there was, I uh, can't remember the name of it, but like the reason we went to hardcore shows is because they were all ages, all right? So you could be 18 and not 21 and still get in. Yeah. And they would serve booze there, but they would like, you know, <laughs> shit. They would put the X on your hand to show that you're not 21. Right. And we'd, of course, just like scrub that off and um, just have one guy drive the 15-pack two-wheel drive truck. How did you know. it work going through the gate? Did they look in the back and they're like, fucking Rangers? As long as you, you know, back then it was like, as long as you had, as long as the guy driving was sober, sober. they yeah. didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think... um my, some of my personal experience back back in there is like people don't realize like you have that unit is just like go 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 all the time and then on top of that if during the wartime and that you get back it is just so much testosterone and I'm sure there's a lot of other units like that like whatever but going out in Tacoma and just get like fist fights would happen all the time and I got a funny story for you I'll tell you and then I'll, we'll get back to you I was in Seattle and we're driving or excuse me no is I'm, this the gang story. Yeah, a little bit. Yes. Yeah, this is good. I don't think I've ever told this publicly. It's, I don't. I don't, I don't think, think so. So I'm actually I'm at my house in Tacoma. I lived with like three other Rangers. You know, we split rent, lived like you know a little in the basement essentially. And I get a call, and I'm an NCO at the time, and for my private, um, I won't say his name. He's an SF guy now, and uh, he calls me, and he's like, "Dude, hey, Sarn, you told me to always call you if there's a problem." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah. What's what's going on, man? You need a ride? What's going on?" He's like, "No, I'm driving back with one of my friends, and there's these like." want to be like young gang members. They're flashing gang signs and trying to like run us off the road. And I'm at a house party with like all rangers. There's like four of us that live there and there's like another 10. And I'm like, you know where I live, right? And they're like, sorry. I'm like, yeah, fucking pull up. And when you pull up, stop right in front and we'll fucking put a linear ambush out. So he gives me, you know, the 30 seconds out, you know, texting me and he rolls up and this car comes up right behind him and we're all laying on the ground with like rocks and fucking bats. <laughs> the second they stop, my buddy, my private gets out. The other guys, four dudes come out of the vehicle like ready just to fuck these two guys up in the car. And then all the rangers just jump up. We're like, ah! we start fucking throwing rocks. My buddy fucking bricks his, their fucking windshield off in the fucking baseball bat. Like... Full, just full send, full send on it. And they drove off and they got us back. They came back like two nights later and slit all the tires on everyone's trucks. Um, but <laughs> it was it was a fun moment to think like that, that. That was just like how things happened. I don't know how that would go down in today's world, but it was it was very just like, 
oh, you want to fuck with my dudes? Like, time to get into a fist fight and break some faces, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's well, a good like story. Nice ambush. Nice little ambush. Nice little ambush. ambush. Little baited ambush. There. Okay, so you're in battalion. 9-11 happens. Like, what, what can you give me, like, the, like, what was, like, what was going through the unit and the culture of the unit, like, when that went down? Yeah, that was, uh... It was kind of a wild time. So I was a brand new, I pinned E6 on 1 September 01. Okay. So I was, I'd been a squally a while. I, I was like a, a long time E5 squad. But anyway, we, uh, in 275 at least, we had deployed, we did, you know, we used to do like DFT deployments for training. It's like funny, pre-GWAT, we called like, if you went to Germany, you call it a deployment. You know, it was like three weeks in Germany. Like it was right. weird. Um, how that verbiage has changed, but we were on a, a deployment in Germany. Um, Seco and Bico, we both went to Germany. Aco went to like Jordan or Turkey or something. I think it was Jordan. Okay, for their their little thing. So we we jumped in like two September or something like that. Jumped into Germany and then did like the pre GWAT Ranger dick measuring contest, right? We just would walk. So uh, we jumped in and we did a 50 mile foot infill to this raid that we were going to do uh, at some German army base or whatever. Um, that was pretty awesome, actually. Like we walked all through the German countryside and like really? through towns and shit and like townspeople were coming out and like giving us food and water and shit. It felt like we were in World War II or something. <laughs> it was actually pretty cool. That's, that's awesome. Um, but it did fucking suck. Uh, a lot of dudes fell out of that and got hurt. You know, we would just like hurt people. Like, yeah. you know, hey, let's walk 50 miles with 90 pound rucks. See what happens. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to prep for this at all. Like, we're <laughs> yeah. just going to just rip it off. So anyway, Ranger. we were in, uh, so we were in Germany. Um, I was in Charlie Company still, like I said, I, at this point I was in Charlie Company, third platoon. Uh, I grew up in first platoon. Um, so it just so happens like fate wise or whatever. Um, we were out at this Mount village, like a military operations and urban terrain training facility in Germany. Um, so like a fake city, you know, we were staying out there for like a week camping out and just training during the day and like into the night and then sleeping and waking up and doing it like camping in a fake city. Um, but I was standing next to my company commander whose uh, name was Frank Genio. Awesome, awesome commander. Um, and this was pre-cell phone days too, right? Like he had the Iridium. Remember the Iridium? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so he had the Iridium phone um, and it rang. He's like, fuck, which you never use that yeah, thing during peacetime. And uh, I see him having this conversation and it's just like, like, well, like his face fucking changed. Like he's, yeah. you know, different. this guy was like, fucking Captain America, like just always uh, stoic and like, you know, whatever. And you could see like his face change. He was like, oh shit. And he like kind of hung up the phone. He's like, uh, so this was after the second plane had hit. Yeah. Probably, you know, an hour after everything happened, everybody kind of, and he's like, hey, there was just a terrorist attack. Da, da, da. He's like, make sure your boys keep their shit packed. Right. Like we yeah. could be blowing out of here. So like immediately it's, you know, it's a range of, company like wildfire through the company everybody's like we're going to fucking war right? right yeah like and you know back then in my platoon at that time there was one guy who had a combat scroll on a cib and it was from panama mm -hmm. so we were just fucking chomping at the bit man and then um one of my like really 
a memory that really sticks out with me is we weren't leaving. They weren't, they, the balloon did not go up, right? Yeah. So we're just staying out there. And every day we're staying out there, we're getting more and more and more angry. Um, and we don't, we don't have smartphones back then. We've got basically nothing. And every day, um, our company supply sergeant, his name's Gabe Huff, <laughs> good dude. He would drive this like pickup out with the mermites full of chow for the company. And then he would park, we'd serve chow. But like during this time period, normally we would all go off in our you know squads and just eat chow or whatever. Everybody gathered around, like an entire company gathered around the side of this pickup truck to listen to the fucking radio. Right. Interesting. You know, he had the radio on with the news and that's like all we got was like this hour and a half where the supply truck was parked there for dinner chow yeah. to listen to what was going on. And then like every night we'd be like, Boy, what the f- fuck are we doing here? Like, so well, imagine because it's like mm-hmm. the culture of the unit. And then like, you're, you're hearing America got attacked and you're like, send Ranger. Why are we like on a mm-hmm. freaking you know, C-130 right now flying. So, and we were also, you know, like <laughs> just, you know, that, that junior Ranger mind, you're like, we're already in Germany. We're like eight hours ahead of everybody else. Why don't they right. just send us? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, and he goes in Jordan. They're right there. <laughs> you know, like not knowing another battalion was, you know, on IRC and an RF1 and all that. Like, cause he didn't, back then too, like in, in your time period, like a squad leader and a team leader understood what our cycle was, right? Like right. training, deployment and all that. Like pre GWAT, you just like showed up for work. You're like, what are we doing today? Like you didn't, yeah. you didn't give a fuck about like world strategy or what it is that we're doing right. or like crawl, walk, run or phases of anything. Yeah. We're just like, this is what we're doing this week. Okay, cool. That's a good point because yeah. like by the time I'd got there, there was, everything was so regimented, you know, it was like, Hey, six months training cycle. You get your one or two block leaves on these dates. If you take them, you deploy, you come back and then maybe fit a school in there somewhere, you know? So it was yeah. very, very like regimented, but yeah, I called it the wheel of despair. The wheel of despair. <laughs> like in Conan and he's just yeah. pushing that thing. Like that's what life for yeah. dudes, like in my generation that stayed a long time, it was just like, because how long, how long were you in Ranger Battalion? Just get on and push. 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. And so you saw essentially the, the, the unit like transition, mature, and because and the GWAT like really molded it. And even the time that I was in, like seeing like the, the imagery and ha- the culture of what was going on right when I got there and then only just a few years later, how much it had changed. Like, yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, the, the, I think the wars make more proficient soldiers for sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, and you said you said that it made this change from the airfield seizure over to the direct action element that it is. Did, did that happen like right at the beginning of two thousand and? No, we we even when I, even when I was in, so like predominantly that's still a function of Ranger Battalion is airfield seizures, right? So if people don't know, it would be there's an airfield in said country that needs to be taken, and Rangers jump in, shoot everybody up. We have some Air Force people that I won't get into it, but they assist with ensuring the safe capability for fixed wing assets to land. And then once that happens, you know, conventional comes in. Yeah. So that, that was like a primary function. And yeah. then, and then I think what happened was right when I was in, you start to see the transition between like, there's, we don't need that because we're already here. And then the need for direct action was increasing so heavily on these target sets that they were like Ranger, send Ranger. Right. And that's, that's really where, when it fit into the surge, when I was in, I mean, we would, we would do, you know, 105 day deployments and then do 120 direct action raids on one deployment. And it was fucking busy as you know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that morphing of, of what Ranger was, you know, 
it didn't really start until Iraq had been rolling for a little bit. I mean, we did, in Afghanistan, we did do unilateral missions, meaning we did our, our own thing. But our, our primary function there up to when the Iraq invasion happened was, you know, supporting of other tier units. Um, we did, like I said, there were times when they were like, oh, let's, let's throw the meat cleaver at that. And, you know, we'd go out and do movement to contact or, you know, uh, just basically. You say throw the meat cleaver at it. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. fucking blurry meat yeah, cleaver. Yeah, you know, it was, we were a big, dumb animal back then, you know, and, and through no fault of our own. But the way that, you know, working in, the, in that capacity of, of with other two units and doing all that, it was like, that shit's going to rub off. And it did. And then fortunately, you know, it was when McChrystal was uh, JSON yeah. commander yep. and was like, hey, like, this is cool. We have all these dudes here and we're hitting like a target a week. But like, there's a lot of shitheads here. Like, let's, yeah. let's ramp it up a bit. And uh, that's when, you know, around when I think you got there is just like yeah. op tempo. Like, mm-hmm. what, is our, what is our objective? Uh, hit a lot of objectives, right? Like, why? We were just like, just we were trying to be the entity that kept, you know, we called it whack-a-mole, right? And the more you're whacking the mole, the more he has to move. Yeah. And that's, our, that's the conventional army's chance to breathe and you know, affect their battle space. Right. So we were there essentially, you know, as a task force, not just as Rangers to allow the conventional force room to breathe, to do the, you know, the other pieces of coin, mm-hmm. right? Like we were strictly well, take a lot of pressure. I mean, a lot of the missions that we were going on were like guys that were headed at, actually, you know, targeted and were actively targeting conventional forces. And so it's like, for me, it was a pretty cool vibe because when you're reading, you know, let's say HVT and he like has blown up an American vehicle before and they're planning to do like a huge IED string and you get to go in there and fucking wrap this dude up. It's it's very fulfilling because like, in essence, you're hopefully saving American lives and there's something very just about that, I think. So yeah, like our, I I never, ever once that I can remember got told, Hey, you're going to go hit this dude where I was like, fuck, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, I really hated that mentality. A lot of guys got that mentality. Um, really? Yeah. Um, in other units, especially, you yeah, know, yeah. where, you know, they're like, well, I'm this fucking this, like, why am I going after this tomato thief or pipe swinger or whatever that you want to call them? And I'm like, yeah, if we had two targets at the same time, but if right. this is the only one there, like go hit it. What else are you doing? You're going to play fucking Xbox tonight? Yeah. yeah. You know, no, you're going to put like your tights on and ride your fucking stationary bike for three hours, you fucking loser. <laughs> like there were, you know, a lot of people that had this attitude. And I'm like, if we don't go hit that, yeah. what's that guy doing tomorrow morning? Right. Yeah. Right. If we don't go hit that, someone else is gonna. And they're going to go on it with, you know, a third of the training, a tenth of the resources. Yep. And, someone will probably fucking get killed or hurt real bad. So like, let's go do it. I think that that is such a good understanding of, of like the units that all of us were in, where it's like, it's like you volunteered for it, right? So that's the way I always looked at it. And I've heard some stories about certain people not wanting to go on target or whatever, but I'm like, you volunteered to like be in the army. You volunteered to be a Ranger Battalion. And then you volunteered knowing you're going to war. 
like you better be ready to do the job and do it at the, the highest degree because there's a lot of fucking other people that didn't join for the war experience. They joined for, let's just say they came from a impoverished area and they would need money for college and they joined an engineer battalion. Like the difference between you killing the IED maker and not is that fucking poor bastard getting blown up in a vehicle. And exactly. it's like, that is your obligation when you signed up to be special force. Like yeah. you're the fucking guy and you, or get the fuck out of the unit and give, yeah. give the slot to somebody else, you know? Exactly. So you're in Germany. How long was it before you ended up on the ground in Afghanistan? <laughs> Like talk about just winding up a group of as you as they you guys said in the the first podcast uh, war athletes what was it murder athletes murder athletes <laughs> yeah yeah man um, so let me think when my first I think I think I deployed in April of '02 April okay. May of '02 was my first combat deployment. So it was from September of 01 through that. Let me guess. They, th they threw 375 up there first. Yeah, man. Of course they did. Damn headquarters. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's, there there's something to there. No, so regiment, the regimental headquarters is in Fort Benning. 375 okay, is at Fort so Benning. So like you'll cruise down to 375 sidebar real quick. And you know, Jerry will be like, wait, how the fuck do you guys have like the new scar? Because they just, you know, they always got the shit first yeah, and then it trickles yeah. out to the other ones, but it's just all good. proximity to being close to dad. And I think that's okay because they have to live in Fort Benning. So I'll, I'll give it, it to them. It evens out. It evens sure. out. Yeah. <laughs> like if you look at tangent, but if you look at combat jumps across the regiment during the GWAT, 275 got one, yep. which was like a platoon minus. Mm -hmm. And it was bullshit. But it was like, it was during the daylight. Come on, guys. Why do you guys wear that thing? But uh, every other combat jump was 375, like in the GWAT. 175 have zero. And 275 had that one little tiny bullshit one. Yeah, I, knew, I wasn't there for that. So I didn't, yeah. yeah, I heard that. Oh, I was. But like my platoon had a real raid planned that day. And they pulled all our assets to go cover the combat jump. Hey, it's good recruiting, okay? Like, yeah. I can't make fun of Mustang. I don't got one, you know? Yeah, I, I don't either. But uh, some of the guys that were on that jump don't wear their shit. Fair. Yeah. Fair. So, yeah, like that time period between 9-11 and when we deployed, um, 375, you know, they got forward stage. They went and did everything. But, um, yeah, we were just really, 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 really fucking angry. Mm. Um and then also something a lot of people don't know was um, initially they were only going to send one company and they did only send one company. They sent Bico um, when everyone deployed. And then like it, fuck, it fucked up that battalion. So like dudes were getting in bar fights. Like guys were just like, yeah. like I can't fucking believe this. the other thing. The other kicker to that was um, we still had high end tights in this time period. Right. Oh yeah. And before B when they told Bico, hey, you guys are going to deploy, they, they were like, go ahead and start growing out your hair. Oh. So, like, you had all these dudes in another company with fucking long hair, Ooh. and they were going to the show, you know, which— They're walking then, around their chests up, just yeah, like— Yeah, we were just completely. like, motherfuck. Yeah. So then, you know, obviously, like, whoever was JSOC commander, regimental commander, they were just like, we need more people. We need more people. We need more rangers. We need more rangers. So they ended up—so then, it's funny— they said, we're going to send two companies. So then my company got put on the hook, Seco. And then ACO was like, Alpha, alpha bot meltdown. Dude, because if you know the politics or like the personalities at 275, it's like, 
Seco, which I was in, we call it Cashco for being like the casual company. Like, all right, bro, whatever. And uh, Bco was barbecue company just because like they were just kind of like bros, good at their jobs. And Aco was the alpha bots because they were like, that's like, me. I was an Aco. So an I, was, I was, I was, I, I, I was like, I, alpha. I, that's I, like me and a couple people there, uh, you know, like we've, we've thus mended our relationship, but it was the first start of the time. Cause he was like alpha bot to a T and I was like, nah, man, like we're, we're just gonna like kill all the dudes in Target and then like bro out, you know, like, cause yeah. I'm from the West coast. So <laughs> yeah. I obviously am a little, little different. Yeah. But. It was like a funny little, yeah. You know, it's own little ecosystem. Own little though. ecosystem. Oh, so yeah. Aco getting picked last in that time period was especially fun. Right. Cause they were just like, they, their heads were blown. And there were guys in Aco, <laughs> there were guys in Aco who were like, yeah, they didn't pick us in case some other shit goes down. We'll be able to go. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're waiting for the real secret squirrel shit for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. We're on reserve with the unit. We yeah. just, just waiting. Just waiting. So yeah, like we ended up deploying. Um, Eco was out, like, cause they had been there the whole time. They were like, they were getting it on, man. They were doing like raids with the unit and like, Getting in big, big, good. Like a lot of people don't talk about that. The initial time period, like there was some legit gunfights and fire, like going on because the, you know, that was the very, very beginning. And all the like high value targets they were going after were like, these motherfuckers were like real moosh. Like they'd fought the Soviets. These guys had yeah, fought yeah. in Chechnya. They were like OG fucking like, terrorists, you know? So, um, but that was Bico. In Seco, we went, we did a few like kind of movement to contact things like, you know, camping with guns in the mountains in Afghanistan. And that was really all we did that first deployment. I didn't, I didn't fucking pull my trigger once. Like, like maybe a guy in our company shot someone. Uh, the rest of us was just like walking around. <laughs> and, you know, that is actually like in my career was one of the harder points in time to be like a leader because we came back from that and there was, it was just like all this, it's like 150 dudes worth of blue balls, right? right. Being, being uh, unleashed, yeah. you know, cause like we went and nothing happened. Fuck. No. It's, it's an interesting psychology for like maybe the listeners that haven't like been in that, you know, or maybe you're younger and aspiring to be in like a special operations unit. Cause it's like, the, the amount of like frustration when you don't get to be the guy going through the door per se is an analogy. I'm sure the Marine Corps, like, cause the culture of that, you know, serve like same exact thing where like dudes like get real fucking mad if they don't get like, get it on, you I know, where. Yeah. I had to switch units. Cause it was like two deployments and I hadn't seen the show yet. And I'm like, I'm leaving you guys. You're lame. Yeah. I need more. Yeah. So when did you end up like you, when did you get out of the military? You feel me? Uh, July, September, 2017. Okay. That, right? Yeah. So you had a badass career, fucking Ranger, Ranger, Ranger go. Um, and since we were running pretty good here, I, I want to bring up that wasn't as a Ranger the last time you've been in Afghanistan. So, um, you ended up going back to Afghanistan as a civilian in efforts and, hope to help extract people out of Afghanistan, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, I did go back to Afghanistan. Yeah. But if I were to sit here and be like, I went to go help, like that's initially, that's a lie. Like right. I can't say I went there to help. Um, I ended up helping. Of course. Um, yeah. because I went there and was like, Whoa, fuck. Um, but really why I went there, I mean, I guess in a roundabout way is to help. I was there to, you know, report on it for coffee or die. And, 
you know, I was there in a journalistic uh, role. I don't know what you say, but like I was there as a journalist, right? To try and tell the story. And, you know, selfishly, I wanted to fucking be there for that piece of history. You and, know? and this is yeah. during the evacuation or extraction of American forces out of yeah. Afghanistan, which was obviously a, a fucking shit show. I, I'd love to hear like your take on it. I know you, if you want a more extensive one, guys, uh, Cough or Die, you wrote a whole thing on it, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, so initially, you know, um, through writing for Coffee or Die and stuff, I had like, you know, and also one of the things mid-career for me, I thought about getting out and become, going to journalism school and becoming a, like a combat journalist, photojournalist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called uh, My War Gone By, I Miss It So, which is like one of my favorite books. It's about this guy who was a British infantryman, got out of the army, went and was a journalist in like the Balkan Wars in the 90s. Um, so anyway, I have, you know, always had like a little bit of a interest in that world. And uh, I made friends with uh, a combat journalist uh, named Jane Ferguson, who... Um, she was, she's nuts. She's been to all these different combat zones, like, like big giant brass balls on her. Um, but I just like reached out to her. I was like, Hey, I admire your work. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, Oh, I see you're in the army. And like, we had a pretty good banter. She was, uh, at the time she was doing a, it's where you're like a guest uh, professor somewhere. So she was, uh, yeah. she was like doing a guest professorship. That's not, that's not what you say. <laughs> it makes I know. Sense. It's a professorship, a guest professorship. Yeah. But she was teaching, uh, journalism at Princeton. Um, okay. So she had like a little more time. So she was like kind of mentoring me on writing and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So anyway, when, uh, when Biden announced, hey, we're going to pull out by September 11th, you know, for sure. I hit her up and I was like, hey, are you going to be there? Are you going to go back to Afghanistan for the withdrawal? And she's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I am. I was like, can I go with you? you know, I'll carry your fucking batteries. I'll do whatever. And she was like, yeah, I, you know. And then, you know, as we, as the trip started to, you know, we were developing the trip, seeing what stories were going to happen. She's like, dude, you're a good writer. You're a competent guy. Like, don't come to hold my fucking bags. Like, yeah. develop some stories. Like, da da da. And I, cool. you know, I hit her up. I was like, hey, what are the places that you tr- are trying to get in that maybe I can help with because of my background? You know what I mean? Um, and my network. She's like, well, I did this story on the commandos like X number of years ago. Um, It was a really good story, but it actually kind of screwed over the main guy I did it on because it was so well done that it made all his like peer group super insecure and they all fucking hate him now. Uh, So she's like, so I'm kind of locked out of that world. So I was like, okay. Um, So when I got with Marty, I was like, hey, I want to go over. What do you think? He's like, well, you can go over with special mission wing, which led me down. I was going to embed basically with the commandos, the, you know, our old partner units, chaos and the commandos. And in my mind, the plan was I'm going to embed with these commando units, go out on missions with them, like cover their fight right. against the Taliban after we leave. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out. Right. right. So what ended up happening was, um, no kidding, the day I was about to leave or the day before I was leaving, the Taliban were just like swooping in, man, like just taking ground like at record pace. And uh, Jane and me were set to go over and she had a camera operator who was coming over with us. And we're all just talking. We're like, what do you think we should do here? And, you know, this was, keep in mind, prior to like Taliban 2.0. Now we see they're like, they're not cutting people's heads off and stuff like that. Like we thought they were going to. I mean, they are, but it's not. They're a little bit more low key about their human rights. Um, So 
we didn't know this at the time. Um, so Jane had done previously, she'd done an embed with the Taliban. So she's like, got to fix her. She has a Taliban. It's like, she knows that world. Yeah. And she was like, you can come, but like, you're going to be fucked, yeah. you know, literally and figuratively. If you come, like, I don't think you should go. I think you should wave off. And she's like, I'll be, she's, uh, she's from Northern Ireland though, too. So she's like this weird political, like no one in the world hates Northern Ireland except <laughs> the UK, but like the, some like people in the UK. Um, so she's like, I'll be safe. You'll, and her exact words were, you'll be proper fucked. Right. <laughs> so proper fucked. I waved off. I was like, I'm not going to go fuck. Okay. Whatever. But then, um, I get contacted by this, uh, nonprofit. They were called Ark Salas at the time and they were, beginning to do these charter flights, right? So they would take a commercial aircraft, charter it, um, assign it a tail number so it could get into HKIA, put, you know, X number of bodies on the plane, not bodies, people, and fly it out. So I was like, okay, I'll go do a story about this, right? Um, It's not the whole thing. And also by this time, HKIA had been seized and was being secured by the 82nd and... I don't remember what battalion of Marines it was. Um, so it was like, it wasn't safe by any means, but it was like an yeah. acceptable risk for me. Right. And probably wouldn't result in me getting like a train ran on me by the Taliban. Right. So I, uh, I get contact and they're like, hey, can you be in Turkey in Istanbul in like 20 hours? We're taking off from here to go to, uh, where we go, like Dubai and then, and then HKIA. I was like, well, I'll try. So I got on the phone with Marty, Marty Scovelin. I was like, hey, like, I'm going to be doing planes, trains, and automobiles. I just need to know you're going to cover my fucking expenses. It's like all I cared about. And he's like, oh, yeah, dude, like, no one else can get there. If you have an end, go fucking take it. Yeah. So I was like, you just so you know, I'm going on this flight. So in my mind's eye, I was going to get on this flight, land in HKIA, watch a bunch of, you know, Afghans get on the plane and then take off and write a story about it. Um, yeah. But then when we got there, it was, it's still like to this end, like, God, that was fucking crazy. So we get there, we land, the plane like pulls up and there's just like no one there. Like, and you need the, like the little buggy with the ladder that comes up to the plane to do anything. And we're like, and these two Marines, like in like a random truck drive up and we're like, Hey, like doors open, we're screaming like, do you have the stairs? And they're like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I think I saw him. And they like zip off and they go. And there's this dude like driving the little tug with the stairs up. And uh, there was a guy on the plane who'd been in the Air Force and done like these like, uh, you know, airfield ops or whatever. So he knew how to like hook up the thing and all this. Was, I was like, super yeah. janky. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this kid driving on board. And that guy's like, hey, do you know how to drive that? And this Marine's like, it's like an E-nothing, like driving this, <laughs> like probably some grunt who's just like walking around. He drives the stairs up and I like get off and I'm like, dude, there's no one here to greet us. Like I figured somebody would be standing there and be like counting people on, making yeah. sure no one got off. And I was like, I'm getting off the fucking plane. So I'm going to go see what's going on. Um, so I grabbed my bag and just got off. And um, I had one other guy there with me. Um, and we kind of just went out to try and make trouble. So I linked up with some dudes. Some of the stuff I'm going to leave out because I don't want to dime those guys yeah, yeah, out yeah, that yeah, were helping yeah, please, me please, out. Please, please, please. Yeah. 
Um, but you knew right when you touched down, you're like, this is a shit show. Already. Oh my like, God. Like that was just the first indicator. And yeah, man, it was, it was Lord of the Flies, like on H. Kaya proper, like just in terms of like all the military people that had occupied the base. Cause you know, if you're listening or you guys know, like remember on a fob or a camp, there were just like a bajillion rules and like, that and the other thing it was like this weird otherworldly experience to be like on H. Kaya which is the fucking flagpole when we were there Mm -hmm. right and it was just chaos like dude I got I ended up getting the guys who helped me out got me a truck I was driving like across the fucking main runway (laughs) like driving down the main to go play like it was Lord of the Flies. There were no fucking rules. No, all that mattered to everyone was like securing the place and then pulling the people in that needed to be pulled in. Uh, all the like dumb bullshit, it, it all went away. It's kind of wild west, huh? It was the wild fucking west. It was. I, I guess it would probably. I wasn't on any of the invasions. Um, I would probably say it was a lot like that. Just like, hey, we need a place to stay. There's a place we can stay. We're gonna take it. You know, it was just. Yeah. How, no how chaotic did it become by the time that you were ready to get out? Or did you did you have that foresight thought to be like, okay, it's time to go? Or or were you just kind of like, oh, fuck, we got to go? Like, You know, I had, um, when I got there, you know, I knew a few people just from my previous life who were at senior levels doing different things. And I was like, respond, I went to them. I was like, hey, I'm here. Um, they're like, the fuck? But they had bigger problems, bigger fish to fry. But I did ask, you know, I asked them, I got kind of a consensus like, hey, how long can I stay here, do what I'm doing and not get in the way, right? Because I didn't want to get in anybody's way. I didn't want to cost anybody a fucking heartbeat of thought as far as my safety and getting out. Yeah, because if you're there to be a solution and then you become a problem, it's just an added layer of stress and like the logistical nightmare of getting as many Americans and, you know, foreign people out as possible that we could, so. Yeah, so uh, I was basically told, you know, period of darkness, like 26, 27, was that when I left? I, I... I'd have to look again. I think it was. No, 20, so nobody, you know, I think it was twenty six, twenty seven pod. So like, hey, leave on the night of the twenty sixth. If you leave the morning of the twenty seventh, just as good. Um. So. Yeah. Which, then, which gave you how many days to? I think I was there six days. Six. Yeah. yeah. Six days, which it felt like I was there a fucking month. Yeah. It was. It was like. Well, I'm sure you probably didn't sleep at all. You probably didn't eat at all. Yeah. No. Like the only. Because there was, like, thank God, there was, like, a... My limiting factor was the battery on my fucking phone, right? Right. So, like, everything I was doing was through my phone. So, I had, like, a little, you know, one of those portable, mem- like, uh, battery bank things. Yeah. And I would go out and I would just, like, do shit until that thing and my phone battery died, which would take about, like, 16, 17 hours. And then roll back in plug the phone in, but then as soon as it would come back alive, I would start answering shit again. So, you know, I'd get like 45 minutes, an hour of like cat naps a day. Yeah. Um, and then I ate, I ate MREs. There were MREs. <laughs> it was funny, man. Like I was sitting in my room, like one of those days, I don't remember which one. 
And I'd like just commandeered like a barracks room, you know? So it was like, I was in this like army bunk bed with like the shitty plastic fucking yeah. mattress. Hell yeah. I was- You better have made just, your corners every fucking morning, dude. Oh I'm man. But yeah, I was sitting there and I'm like, dehydrated as fuck, just sleep deprived, tired. And you know that like when you're dehydrated and your skin kind of hurts, you know? Yeah. Had that and I'm like eating a fucking MRE. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was like, what in the motherfuck happened? Like, what the fuck? How <laughs> yeah. the fuck did I get here? Right. It was wow. at that moment Jericho knew he fucked up. Yeah. Like, I was like, am I in like, in some kind of weird dream? It's a fever dream? Um, but yeah, it was, it was totally weird. We're, we're stoked you made it out good. That's for sure. Because we wouldn't be uh, having this conversation and talking about you being the uh, the content first sergeant because we have so many exciting things to do, right? I think so. Yeah, and we, yes, you know, we're we definitely do. gonna uh, jump into that a little bit more. Yeah, we, we should we should take experience. a full deep dive on that guy. Deep dive, if you want, yeah. only if yeah. you want. Oh, I'm all about deep diving. I've gotten over my fear of the pool. I'm good with deep diving now. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, dude, already across the the spectrum of America, like it, it, it's already like an afterthought. For the American public, you know what I mean? And like, I just like, I'm not okay with that. I'm not yeah. okay with that being the circumstance. And I think that for those Marines that were lost and like the totality of what Afghanistan and the GWAP meant for us as a generation, like I'm not, we're just not letting that one go. Like, yeah. It's not going to become a afterthought for you guys. Like it, we're, we're not done talking about the result of sending us to war for 20 years. Yeah, man, it was, I think September for me, uh, late September is one of the, like, it's a dark fucking time for me because not only had we, uh, we pulled, it was a dark time for a lot of people, right? That we pulled out of Afghanistan, it's over, it's over. But, you know, when I got back from that trip, I got put on a temporary contract for major news network and I was doing, you know, sound bites for them and like special correspondences and like answering questions. And I got put on this contract and like the first few days I was on it, I was working a lot and doing a lot. And then like the next week it was like the faucet got turned off and we were no longer doing stories about not only about not, not just say one week, one week, one week. Yeah. It wasn't just, they stopped talking about the withdrawal. They stopped talking about Afghanistan as a whole. Right. Right. And additionally, like, that's when that book, The Afghanistan Papers, came out, which, like, just detailed the gross incompetence at every every stage of that conflict. And it was like, the writing was on the fucking wall that everyone in government and everyone in the mainstream media just wanted it to go the fuck away. Yeah. Right? It was like a a slap in the fucking face. And I was just like, you you don't know what to do because like additionally in that time, like you can, you can saddle your horse and you can get on social media and you can start talking about it. And then I noticed when I was doing that, people stopped seeing my shit, you know? And it was so like, it was all that, it was kind of like at the beginning where I had all this energy and all this like yeah. angst and all this, like, I need to do something about this and just didn't know what the fuck to do. Um, so yes, we well, do need to I mean, not stop talking about no, that. No, I mean, and, and that's, I was kind of speaking to that the other day. It was just like, you know, it, it, if the war is technically over, but the consequences of war are not. And this was 
a two decade war, the amount of like life, limb, eyesight, and then the, the complications that have come out of it. And then it's just like, you know, for a lot of the mainstream people, just turn the page a week after, like we have the most fucked up pullout, like ever, almost like the ever, ever. Oh yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it's just like, turn the page. And then it's like, Oh, like, you know, but I think a portion of that is like, that's why I love this company so much. It's like, it's our obligation to keep that narrative going and have those conversations and then network and, and, and provide opportunity to people that have felt the impacts negatively of war um, and, and become their support system. And I think you coming on to Black Rifle Coffee and your position with your background is just another, you know, layered ounce in the backpack of Black Rifle Coffee to do the mission that we want to do. And I'm very thankful that you, you, um, are coming on board with us, man. Like stoked to fucking be here. And, yeah. And, and I'll leave. We'll do, we'll do one more last question. Cause I just want to hear please. it and document it for all time. Like you didn't have to like take a job. Like you're, you're so, like you're fine in life. Like you could, oh, no. you could have kept <laughs> like, I'm only here like, the money. You, you, like you, like that's why I was like, ever since we met in, uh, first in 2019, like I, I always looked at you like you're a man who has all the freedom in the world. And, and I always respected you for that. I always looked at you as a beacon of like, there's dudes out there living it exactly yeah. how they want to. Yeah. And I always appreciated that, but yeah, and we've kind of been dancing for a little bit, but why, why now? And why were you finally like, man, it's time for me to get in the mix with these dudes. Uh, well, first Evan asked, <laughs> no, but mainly, you know, and we'd always, we'd always tap danced around it for the, you know, the years I've known you guys. And it was like, I'm always going to do what I like. I'm just a fuck yes person. So I'm like, no, that sounds fucking rad. Um, you know, I've been in the, I've been in the film industry in Hollywood and, you know, I'm my personality. I like to be somewhere where my efforts yield results right? Where basically where I'm listened to. Yeah. Right. And I wanted to come to a place where my expertise and my opinions, even if they were not, you know, uh, acted on, were at least heard. Um, and a place that like, I believed in it, you know, um, after it, living, both, both living in LA and working in the film industry, I found myself having to question my own common sense quite a bit, right? Like I had to kind of talk myself into some things. Um, not like weird, gross things, but like, you know, one of the movies I worked on, I, I haven't told anybody I worked in this movie because it was fucking shit. It sucked. The guy didn't listen to a damn word I said. Um, and I didn't like that feeling, right? Like, can I live this life where... Because like you said, man, my life, it still is, but it was fucking awesome. I would bang out a movie like once or twice a year, make a buttload of loot. That loot would supply my fucking lifestyle of traveling and living in the van and hunting and doing all these cool things I love to do. It was awesome. But at the end of the day, it wasn't serving my legacy, right? And legacy is important to me. So in coming here, I'm going to be able to help other people either at their highest level of genius by taking some of those things off their plate. And it will also serve to better my legacy and I'll leave my thumbprint on the world a little bit better and still be doing 
fucking rad shit and traveling and having fun and taking really cool places. I fucking yeah. love that. Right, let's go. Let's go. Fuck this podcast. Let's go work. <laughs> I got the ghost pimples. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome, dude. It's going to be a yeah. fucking awesome year. Like you guys don't even know the shit we've got fucking. Planned, so. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's true. It's legit. And, and thank you for the little uh, road down Ranger history there. That was yeah. actually uh, yeah. compelling for me to hear that um, first person. So thank you. And, yeah. Uh, Love it. You guys will be seeing Jericho a lot more. Um, but fuck yeah. We'll see you next episode. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!